Recovery Elevator, episode 467. I was so ashamed and so embarrassed and drinking alone at the very, very end. I was just completely isolated and drinking alone in my apartment and um, not even going out anymore, hiding everything. And I said, this is going to be my legacy. This is not what I want to leave my kids. And it became so important to me to change what I was doing. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. On today's episode, we have Andrea. She's 47 years old from Phoenix, Arizona, and took her last drink on November 9th, 2021. Great job, Andrea. I want to say thank you to all of our Cafe Ari chat hosts. You guys do an incredible job. I want to give a shout out to our Restore Dry January cohort, Home Stretch, guys. We got two sessions left tonight and Wednesday. I'll see you guys tonight. You're doing an incredible job. All right. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. The most important relationship that you have is a relationship with yourself. I love the quote that says, you can't hate yourself into self-love. For me, healing the relationship that I have with myself has been one of the biggest benefits of being in recovery. Thanks to therapy, I have been able to grow my confidence, develop tools that allow me to focus on self-acceptance, and truly improve the relationship I have with myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot elevator. Okay, let's get started. I came across a quote I wanted to share with you, but now I'm not 100% certain who said this, so I can't give credit where credit is due, but here we go. The quote is, decide what life you want to live and say no to everything else. I love it. Now let's unpack that a bit. Decide what life you want to live. Decide or choose, or how we say it here at RE, is getting clear on the why. Get clear on the why. Decide or choose the life that you want to live, and then anything that isn't in line with that must be declined. Now no is a complete sentence. This same quote can be applied to your thoughts, to your thinking mind, as any thought that isn't in line with your life needs to go. As author or podcast host Jay Shetty says, ask if the thought is a seed or a weed. If the thought is a seed, keep the thought and let it grow. If the thought is a weed, then let it go. Now, this is a fun quote to mentally explore, but putting it into action can be challenging. The word that came to mind while writing about this quote is purge. We are purging anything and everything that isn't in line with our new life. A type of purge that I want to cover for the next couple of minutes is crying. As we say no to everything that isn't in line with the life we want to live, audios alcohol comes to mind, the emotion of grief will come say hello. So saying no and letting go isn't easy, but it's healthy and so is crying. Research shows we have three types of tears. Interesting. Reflex, continuous, and emotional tears. Reflex tears clear debris like smoke and dust from your eyes. 
Continuous tears lubricate your eyes and help protect them from infection. And emotional tears, and that's what I'm most interested in here, have many health benefits. Let's dive deeper. So whereas continuous and reflex tears contain 98% water, emotional tears contain stress hormones and other toxins. Researchers have theorized that crying flushes these toxins out of your system. A good cry also activates the PNS or the parasympathetic nervous system, which sends signals of calm and restoration to the body. It's a much healthier way to self-soothe than drinking. We're not done yet. Crying dulls pain. Crying releases oxytocin and endogenous opioids, otherwise known as endorphins. These feel-good chemicals help ease both physical and emotional pain. Researchers have found that crying is a way to help emotionally regulate the body or to find a new emotional balance. Now, many of us used alcohol to find emotional balance. My hand just went up. So how do we do this without alcohol? Well, the good news is the body knows a great way to do this. That's with tears or crying. Now, I think from age 22 to 32, I cried maybe once or twice because I'm a man. I'm kidding. The more accurate way to say that is I didn't cry for a decade because my heart was closed and I was shut off from my emotions and alcohol pushed any and every uncomfortable emotion as far away as it could until it stopped working and they all overflowed at once. Now today, sobriety has allowed me to reconnect with myself or heal the most raw and vulnerable parts of me. This came and comes with many purges in the form of tears. If you're finding emotions hard to deal with in sobriety, then give the body permission to purge them out in the form of tears. Go ahead and lean into the millions of years of universal intelligence the body possesses and have a good cry. Now back to the quote how I started this intro, which was, decide the life you want to live and say no to everything else. When you cry, it's the body's version of saying no to everything else. A good cry will detoxify your body. Let the body rid itself of chemicals that are not in line with how you want to live. So with the Recovery Elevator podcast, we want to keep things as real as possible. Yes, sobriety, you're giving up one thing for everything. I can genuinely say my life is so much better without alcohol. For starters, I'm alive. But I can almost guarantee you, you're going to cry on this alcohol-free journey. We have something of an inside joke at our events, which is we're aiming for a 100% cry rate. I think breathwork alone gets 80% of us. And when I conclude our retreats, I ask participants who cried and almost every hand goes up. And as we cover today, this isn't a bad thing at all. And hang on, we've all heard the phrase tears of happiness. I remember seeing Third Eye Blind live around my two-year alcohol-free mark. And when the band took the stage, I found myself crying tears of joy. Now, I also found myself crying about a month ago because the stress of the holidays was building, but I didn't drink over it, and the body knew exactly how to emotionally regulate in the form of tears. So on my end, behind the mic, it's a bit of a challenge to somewhat sell sobriety while it goes hand in hand with the waterworks or the tears. But hey, if we are to reconnect with our authentic self and others, crying is a very normal and healthy part of it. So as we conclude, if you feel like crying, green light, do yourself a favor and let it out. I hope you enjoyed today's intro. I had a great time putting it together. And before we hear from Andrea, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe RE. When I decided I wanted to pursue an alcohol-free life, 
I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I joined Cafe RE almost immediately after I found it, and I was so surprised at the amount of grace, support, and love that was offered to me right away. One of the things I quickly realized was that I had a lot in common with the people in this community, people all over the world with similar feelings and struggles that understood me. Community matters, and lining up with people that have the same goal in mind really helped me stay the course on my journey, especially when I came across bumps on the road. When joining Cafe RE, you get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $24 a month, you get access to the community, you get paired with an accountability partner if you request to be matched, you can attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 10% of monthly fees goes towards our service project, where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to meet you there. Andrea, how are you? I am fabulous. How are you, Paul? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to hear your story. Listeners, right before we hit record, Andrea dropped a value bomb. She said, hey, I want to help. I want to share my story with the goal to help other people on this journey. And that is exactly what we came here to do. Andrea, let's get right into this. When was your last drink? My last drink was November 9th, 2021. Fantastic. So you're coming up, what, two and a half years? Mm-hmm. Coming up. Yeah. How do you feel? I feel amazing. Um it's the it's been the best thing I've ever done in my entire life. So I had a pretty rough 2023, but I couldn't have survived it without um, my sobriety. So I feel um, on top of the world still. Yeah, you had a massive life challenge in 2023, which I'm sure we'll get there that you remain sober during. I mean, incredibly impactful. Um, and you mentioned before we hit record, it was 30 years of drinking. And here you are with a couple years away from the alcohol. It's all possible. We're going to get right into that. But Andrea, before we do, give listeners a little background about yourself, where you're from, maybe what you do for a living. Do you have a family? And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? So I am 47 years old. I live west of Phoenix. I am a mother to four adult children squashy to two grandchildren I actually go back up mother to four adult children and my my dog my great pyrenees day so and then squashy to my two grandchildren and um recently began dating someone special um i work with people with substance use disorders and i'm currently in grad school um obtaining a master's in social work for fun, um, this last year, I've actually been exploring that, trying to figure out things that I like doing. I've been challenging myself, learning new things, seeing what I like and don't like. And this year I discovered, or last year, 2023, I discovered I like jogging. And I did my first 5K over Thanksgiving, so that was fun. I like do-it-yourself projects, hiking, meal prepping, painting rocks, watching documentaries, that sort of stuff. You said you were in the substance use disorder field. What kind of work do you do there? 
I work in, actually out of a different state and I work, we work trying to get people to sign up for services, people um, with Medicaid needing that are diagnosed with substance use disorders. And then we have a program that um, allows them to receive additional support. And what are you studying in grad school? Uh, social work. Okay. That's right. You said that. Yeah. All right. That's a lot on your plate. You got four grown kids, two grandkids, um, and you're giving back. And I'm sure in that world where with the substance use disorder, you're exposed to it. You see what it is. You see the system. Um, it's a major issue in, in America, across the globe, mental health, addiction. It's all coupled together. Together, It's not separate. Um, and the way I see this podcast, we are part of the solution. As you said earlier, you want to be of service to be to help. We are doing that right now. Listeners, I know you're going to get a lot of out of this inter interview with Andrea. Well, Andrea, let's talk about your story in regards to alcohol addiction. And I'm going to let you start and I'm going to let you start where you'd like. Sometimes people start on their first drink in high school, college, whatnot. But I do want to focus on a little bit before your sobriety date. And definitely let's leave some time for this couple of years without alcohol, how you did it, the resources. You know, maybe talk about, did you put rules into place? Did you have a period where you moderated? All right. The floor is yours, Andrea. Thank you so much. So I grew up with my mom and father and my brother. And... um we moved around a lot. And I, I just bring this up because I think it's an important part of my story. Um, my father moved us around a lot by the my whole life, um, but I would never made connections with people. I was never able to form connections or friendships with people because I was always moving. And it wasn't for any reason. It was just, he was moving us everywhere. <laughs> so um, that, that, that becomes important later with the alcohol, but it played a big part in that. Um, when I was 13, I had discovered that my father was cheating on my mother. And it seems like everything just fell apart at that point. And that is actually when I first had my first drink at the age of 13. And I remember um, just feeling a sense of ease and relief with that first drink. And I don't know if it's a, if I actually remember thinking this, but I feel like I felt like this is going to be trouble. And um, it was <laughs> from then on out. Um, so um, my teens continued drinking house parties, stealing alcohol from friends, parents, older siblings buying alcohol for us, that kind of thing. That was, th Those were my teen years, um, just drinking every chance I, I could get. And your question is, you said on your first drink, there was a voice inside that said, uh oh, this might be trouble. Did I hear that right? Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. I There was an awareness. I don't know how, but I know that there was, it was like, oh, this is going to be a trouble. Gotcha. And can you comment a bit more on that feeling? You said relief. I think it's because I was kind of a shy child. And so um, it felt almost like it was me coming to life um, with the alcohol and all the reservations left my body. I could just be free and not have any hindrances or anything and just express myself as I wanted to. Wow. Okay. Keep going. So my teens, like I said, just drinking whatever I could, I never wanted to stop and I couldn't stop. And it was, um, that was just continuing throughout my teens. I started bartending when I was 19. Um, so I started working in the field, uh, service industry field then, and it continued. I had my first child when I was 19 with all four of my children. I didn't drink during my pregnancies, but I couldn't wait for the pregnancies to be over. Um, I didn't breastfeed intentionally because I wanted to drink and I needed to drink. 
So I had my first child at 19. And then in my 20s, um, same thing, working in the service industry, working um, at, at that time, they called them cocktail waitresses in the, the sports bar and stuff. And drinking after work, kind of getting in trouble. I was married at that point at 22. I got married. Um, and then I would just stay after work, you know, have one drink. And I, it was never, it was impossible to have one drink from the beginning. So earlier you said in your teens, and it sounds like also as a cocktail waitress, you had trouble stopping. Uh, what mm-hmm. does that mean? You know, can you explain that a little more? That means once I would have one drink, it I didn't stop. <laughs> it didn't stop until, until I couldn't drink anymore. Um, it just, it, until I was full up, um, no off button, no off switch. Yeah, I shared last night in our restore course that at the end of my drinking, that off switch was completely faulty, broken, or is a non-existent. That one drink, it's not the second, third, fourth, or tenth that was the problem. It was that first drink because there was no off button. I I understand. Uh, keep going. Yeah, so that started that started very early for me. It was just it's always been like that. Um, so I actually went to a rehab. I think I was about twenty-two, and this is when I was married. It was causing problems in my marriage because I would go out to drink after work and I just couldn't stop. And I went to that first rehab. I think it was like a 30 day rehab. I really don't remember anything about it, but I know that I started drinking right away once I got out. And then that was the only rehab I have been to, but the drinking continued. So in my, um, in my twenties, I had the rest of my children and my mother died of cancer when I was 25 years old. And I remember that was the first time that I, um, started to drink with a purpose. So um, as soon as uh, she died and we were dealing with her death at that time, I left the house and just went out and got drunk. And I was aware that I was drinking for a purpose at that point. So I realized that it could numb things. Um, So the rest of my twenties continued like that, drinking to numb the pain from her loss and stress of raising kids, that kind of thing. Never got in trouble um, at all, but just causing problems. A lot of drunk fights with my husband. Andrea, I'm sorry to hear about the loss of your mom at, at age 25 for you, but I, but I want to draw a connection here for listeners. So everybody's story is different, but at the same time, I've done so many of these interviews. My story, we're all the same. A commonality that I hear is life's cruising along, you're drinking, and then boom, life happens. Your mother passes away at age 25 and you started to drink with a purpose. I was going to ask you what that purpose was, but you alluded to it. You said it, it was to numb out, right? You noticed that that the drinking took on a different role is it, just to silence the mind, to, to push the thoughts and emotions down. Yep. That's exactly what it was doing. And I would intentionally drink to numb things at that point. Gotcha. So before it was just a desire to drink or party or deal with social situations. And then I I learned that I could do it to also not deal with the pain of losing her. She was my best friend. Um, the 30, my thirties continued on the same, same, same cycles, drinking before every social situation, even drinking before interviews, you know, any, any kind of interaction I would have to drink. Um, and binge drinking constantly on the weekends. Um, so that continued in my thirties when I was about 38, I actually, um, this is the first time I had a legal consequence from my drinking and, um, I was arrested, <laughs> which I've never had a ticket in my life, never anything. 
And um, I had a nursing license at the time. So I was on probation and something happened with the system where they missed a year of probation. So they tried to add another year of probation on me, which doesn't allow you to drink during that probation. And I would kind of sneak drinking here and there trying to pass the test. And um, once they came to me and told me I'd have to do another year of probation, I said, I cannot go another year without drinking the way I want to drink. So I gave my license back because I wanted to drink. <laughs> so um, it, the compulsion at that point was getting pretty strong. Yeah. Andrea, that's a great word. The compulsion of it listeners. And there's no judgment here, Andrea. I have my own version of what you just said but you gave the license back so you could choose to drink that the way you wanted to drink. I understand it again, no judgment, but that's the insanity of alcoholism, this disease, whatever you want to call it. Um, and let me ask you a question too. So at 38, you had a legal repercussion, you were arrested, you're arrested. Um, and thank you for getting us up to speed in your twenties and thirties rehab at age 22. Drinking took a huge turn age 25 when your mother passed away with cancer. When did that voice come back? after your very first drink, you know, during your twenties and thirties saying, look, I've already been to rehab. I just got arrested, you know, in your thirties, there's that voice, like we need to do something about this. So my entire thirties, I would say I would never drink again every time I would drink. And so every single time I drank, never doing that again, never did. Cause it was never just a normal drinking episode. It was always to the extreme. And so, but I couldn't, I couldn't even fathom the thought of living without it. So it wasn't something that I was ready to face yet, living a life without alcohol. I just kept saying I'm never drinking again. And then I would. Um, I even miss like my kids' birthday parties that I had set up and um, scheduled, you know, planned. Everything was reserved, but I couldn't show up because I was so hungover. Um, it's awful. And um, so the voice started coming back actually in my 40s. Um, pretty, pretty strong in my forties. That's when it happened. Ended my thirties, still doing the same thing. And then um, early forties, about 41 is when I got separated from my husband. We had been together about 20 years and the alcohol was prevalent throughout our entire marriage, causing um, years of just the alcohol, the drinking years of self-loathing, shame, regret, bites, just, just awful. And then the divorce kind of was a catalyst for changing my drinking habits and changing my life. And I, this is when I started thinking about making the change when I was about 40, 41. And um, I would start Googling, am I an alcoholic? That kind of thing started happening. Then I took all the tests. I think I got, if you scored 100, I probably got 120 on all of them. <laughs> so, But then I would try to find something that counteracted that and said, no, you could, you could drink you, it's okay. But um, so for a couple of years, I was doing that, playing around with that, Googling, looking up things, taking supplements. <laughs> Andrea, question. So rehab 22, rested 38, Googling, do I have a drinking problem or am I an alcoholic, whatnot? Was there a part of you that said, I don't have a drinking problem. This is totally fine. We're good. Right. Or were you seeking external validation that green light we're still drinking? Because I think that one of the most insidious parts of alcoholism, whatever this is, is the voice that it's a mask. It covers up like what, how much we're really drinking and says, no, we're good. We're justifying it. I knew it was a problem. It was definitely a problem. I think I was looking for 
ways to not give it up entirely, just like the whole moderation thing. Gotcha. That's, when moderation, that's when moderation really came into play then. And um, I didn't want it to be a problem, although because I was a binge drinker, I wasn't doing it every single day, but my binges became longer and longer and longer, more days involved and recovery longer and longer. So I was um, searching for just a tiny little gap that said, no, I didn't have a problem that I can hang on to this and I can fix it. Um, and it didn't. And at this time I was having a lot of health problems too. And I was having tons of anxiety, tons of depression. Um, I was seeing doctors, neurologists testing me for MS, all of this stuff. I was taking liver supplements because they were organic, of course, because that's <laughs> organic. I was taking organic liver supplements because my liver was in pain, but I wouldn't tell people that. Um, but I was being tested for all these things. It turns out since I quit drinking, everything went away. I don't have these health problems anymore. I don't have the liver pain, the neuropathy, anything, the anxiety, depression, anything it's, it's gone. I want to double um, stamp that real quick, Andrea, when you quit drinking, it turns out that was the issue. Everything went away. Before my sobriety date, before I entered sobriety, I had been diagnosed by so many psychiatrists and therapists. Oh, well, let's open up the DSM. You have this, 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 this. Turns out it was out alcohol. It was all alcohol. I fully get it. I keep going. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so 41 was kind of the turning point where I started thinking more about changing my life and doing these kinds of things, um, adding different things into my life, learning how to love myself, all of these things started taking place then. So um, 41, 42, I started thinking about my legacy and I started thinking about what I was leaving behind for my kids and my grandkids. And I was so ashamed and so embarrassed and drinking alone at the very, very end, I was just completely isolated and drinking alone in my apartment and um, not even going out anymore, hiding everything. And I said, this is going to be my legacy. This is not what I want to leave my kids. And it became so important to me to change what I was doing. And so I started started listening to Recovery Elevator. I started listening to different podcasts. I started reading all the books and just I'd be drinking and doing my thing, but listening to Recovery Elevator. And that was like that for a couple of years. So I was about 42 to 44 um, doing that, um, listening to the things and then having more periods of abstinence. I'd have a week here and, you know, it started building where it'd be a little bit longer over a couple of years. And then my final before I actually was able to maintain sobriety, I had like 89 days and then I relapsed and I was like, I just need to get to 90 days. I know wow. it. <laughs> and I kept trying and kept trying and kept trying. And, um, but I did it on my own. I didn't ever reach out. I didn't tell people what was happening. And, um, cause I was kind of a private person and I never made those connections with people. The only connections I had with people was my ex-husband and the people in the bar and the people in the bar were not going to help me. So I just did it all on my own, except you were always there. Honor to be there. Thanks guests. for listening. Yeah. yeah. And Andrea, okay. That last three minutes you said summarized perfectly for almost the majority of people, how they enter sobriety. Now, listeners, a lot of people think it's one and done sobriety. And this is my last drink adios. But in reality, that's how the progression looks. You said you were actively drinking while actively seeking sobriety. Those two things can happen at the same time, right? And then you started stacking days or abstaining. Um, you, had, you had 89 days, right? And then you went back and drank again. That is a tra trajectory 
that many people follow into sobriety. It's a series of day ones. Hey, look, I got two days where previously I only had one day. Now I got five days. Now I got 12 days. Now I'm back to zero, but something stuck. And he said this couple of year process, you know, you're gaining momentum. You are doing things differently. You look back at your legacy. Um, that, that's powerful, right? And it's, it's pretty clear what was going to happen if you kept on drinking. Keep going. So I did the 89 days, got right back. I drank for a little while and went back um, and um, got the 90 days and then just kept going. And here I am now. So, so grateful, <laughs> so grateful for the journey, for the entire journey and so grateful to be sober now and see this side of things. And Andrea, another point I want to make is almost everybody starts this journey alone, right? I've probably said 3,000 times on this podcast, ah, you can't do this alone, which I agree with, you can't, but almost everybody starts that way. Um, and, and listening to a podcast, you might be alone, but in reality, you're not. You've got the host, you've got the interviewee on the podcast, which now you're kicking major butt on right now, Andrea. So you're not fully alone. I guess if you're reading a book, you're reading it with the author. And that's how I wrote with my book. I, I wanted the reader to feel like we're taking this journey together. But eventually, as we gain our footing, the community has to build and will form around us. So you you got 90, 89 days, you drank, you got that 90 again, and boom, here we are. Let's talk about that early sobriety or the first year for a bit. What was that like your first year away from alcohol? So my first year, um, because I didn't have any connections outside of my bar connections, I just really created a bubble around myself in my home. I had bought a new house. Oh, I had forgot to mention, I did graduate with my bachelor's. I finished it 27 years after I started because all this stuff was happening while I was trying to get sober. So I graduated, graduated with my bachelor's when I was 45. I was trying to change the legacy, trying to work on these things to change what was happening. Um, so I had bought bought a house at that time and I just created a bubble. It was like my alcohol-free zone. It was just my place. I did eat a lot of ice cream and you can't, <laughs> if you're going to give up something, it's going to be replaced by something. And I just did it to survive. And now actually I'm working on replacing that with jogging instead, but I needed to do something to get me through it. And for me, it was ice cream and, <laughs> and my my home and like projects at home. So I was always aware of like, I need to find my tribe. I was just too afraid to. And I went to some meetings here and there, AA meetings. I remember going to my very first meeting, just sobbing. I was so afraid. Actually, my very, prior to my very first, I drove up to a few and sat in the parking lot and drove away, <laughs> like never went in. But um, I did end up going and I, I started, I went to AA meetings off and on. Sometimes I would feel that they would trigger me and make me want to drink more after talking about alcohol in the, in the early days. So um, I would just go if I really needed to be around people. But that was like my first year, a, a lot of um, quit lit still reading. And then the, the podcast, um, I would listen to your podcast, Recovery Happy Hour, hour The yeah. Bubble Hour. And then the quit, like Annie Grace, I read a couple times because it hits you differently at different points in um, your recovery. I read it when I was still drinking. And then the, during the first year of my sobriety, when you picked up on a lot of different things at that point. Um, so the first year was kind of like that, but I kept thinking I need to get this tribe and I just couldn't bring myself to it. Um, so then going into my second year, it was actually February of um, 
2023 is about when I started thinking, I'm really going to start focusing on my relationships with people because I was so focused on myself and learning how to love myself and learning how to live without alcohol and learning all those things, just being very selfish. So I said, I'm going to start working on my relationships um, with people and getting out and doing things. And then um, February, 2023, my second daughter, she was 24, she died in a drinking and driving car accident. So that kind of put everything on hold for a little while, um, dealing with, with that tragedy and that trauma that it has brought into my life and the life of her siblings and her children. She left behind two children, my grandchildren. So the relationships with people was still on hold while I have dealt with the grief and the loss of her life. Andrea, I, I, and I'm so sorry to hear about that. We discussed this a little bit before we hit record, and that right there is a major life event yeah. that you're still dealing with, but you've gone through sober. Can you comment on that? So I remember thinking, it was like right before I was getting sober or when I was trying to get sober, I remember thinking, what would cause me, what would, ever co- what would, what would I ever allow to cause me to drink again? And the only thing that I could think of was the loss of one of my children. And then I said, I can't, even if that happens, I can't do that. I cannot ever drink again. I, it just won't happen. So this happened and I was like, oh my God. And then I didn't have the community. So I was like, I am screwed. I knew two sober people somehow through my work. And um, I called them immediately when this happened. Like I got the call at five in the morning, finding out that she had died. And um, I called the two sober people I knew. And I said, this is what's happened. Whatever you do, don't let me drink. I need you to, I need you to not let me drink. And I said, I don't care what you need to do. Do not let me drink. So I had uh, a really great friend check on me constantly and like, how you doing? You doing okay? And uh, I mean, I just knew him through work. So I, we never spoken outside of it. I just, so he was really great. My other great friend, she was checking on me all the time as well. Um, there was a time where it was about two weeks after her accident where my brain, it was so weird um, because it was almost like when I was drinking, when your brain tells you like, just drink, you'll feel normal or, you know, that kind of thing. My brain kept telling me, drink, you'll feel normal. And I'm like, I'm not going to feel normal. Nothing's going to make me feel normal after losing, losing a child like this. But my brain kept saying, just drink, just drink, just drink. And I was like, I cannot. So uh, there was one time where it was so intense. I had to, I went to, I took myself to an AA meeting and I just said, I, I need help. I, I need you guys right now. And I didn't, I didn't know any of them because I'm not a regular. And I just said, I just need your help. And so all the numbers came flooding in and wow. you know all the support. I didn't reach out because I'm not one to reach out and ask for help, but I had to take myself there. So I wouldn't drink. Um, and I have, I've haven't drank and it's the best thing I've ever been able to do is not drink during this time. Unbelievable, Andrea. Thank you so much for sharing what is possible to overcome with that alcohol, even though in your mind you said, what could cause me to drink the death of a child? It happened, didn't happen, even though the thinking mind was searching for relief, that word that you used when you had your first drink. Now, I've heard over 450 interviewees on this podcast and and some change and some more. Most of them I have done. Now, there are some data points that I want to share with the audience that has almost led me 
help me open up my own spirituality aspect or the aperture of, of what's going on behind the scenes in this universe. And, and something is, I fully believe. Now I've heard this several times. We, we've heard similar things on this podcast, Andrea, and, and also stories of, of, of heroic feats of not drinking over it. But it's almost like there's something going on behind the scenes that says, look, we've been doing this for 30 years. And if we don't quit drinking now and get stable footing underneath us, if we're not sober for a significant amount of time, a year and some change before your daughter passes away, as we talked about before this, the, we hit record, you'd be a goner. You wouldn't be here right now. Your drink would have taken another precipitous decline into you know another level. Can you comment on that? I actually, I've thought about that and I've thought that um, my sobriety has set me up perfectly to deal with this loss. And there is no way, I mean, the loss of alcohol was huge in my life. I cried over that forever. <laughs> I mean, I cried for a year thinking I wasn't going to ever drink again. Um, so I uh, grieve that and I just setting myself up and being able, you know, being sober and clear-minded and being able to deal with this loss is just so valuable. I mean, it's been the most pain I've ever had in my life, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because I've been able to honor her. And I also, I think about her and I know that that's the last thing in the world she would want me to do. I mean, she died in a drinking and dri driving car accident. And like, she doesn't want me doing the same thing. I mean, I was driving drunk the wrong way on the road just right before I quit drinking. I mean, I, it was madness. So this has set me up um, completely to deal with her loss. Um, I wouldn't have been able to survive otherwise. So, and I've been able to be there for my other kids because of it and her brother and sisters and her kids. So I, I, it's a blessing. It's been a blessing, the biggest blessing. So you've made it through sober, but you're taking it a little further. You're using that experience. You're sharing it to help other people. Incredible of, of how you're using this dramatic life event um, to propel you forward in life. You're right. Cause your daughter absolutely would not want you to drink um, and, and have a tailspin without a doubt. Um, Andrea, I almost want to close the loop on something you said earlier with your father moved you guys around and you had trouble making connections. I know when I had that first drink, it was relief and, oh, hello, Paul. It's nice to meet you. I connected with myself for almost the first time internally in alcohol. I had made a connection with the molecule alcohol. It also helped me connect with other people. And it's been a beautiful journey without alcohol to make those connections. <laughs> it, it has been. It's been a big, it's, it's, that's been a big challenge, but the most beautiful journey I could take. How has it been with you in making connections? I know you were hinting on it. You were starting it though. This has to pause, but where we are, where are we at right now with it? So um, I'm actually just kind of coming back to life after um, grieving the last 10 months or so. Um, and, but I have been more present in the connections, even with like colleagues and, and whatnot. So um, just putting myself out there more, asking for help from people. I have been the last couple of months, uh, like taking classes, learning new things, trying to connect with people that way. I did for my two year soberversary, go to an AA meeting and I, I spoke there, which I normally don't do. And people were hugging me, which it's not something that I usually do, but I'm really putting myself out there and making those connections. And actually it's really great at that meeting. I was in uh, La Jolla in California at that time 
I took myself on a weekend trip over there and I went to that AA meeting and went to dinner with a couple of the people there after they invited me to go to dinner with them. And I went to dinner and that's not something I would ever do because I'd have to be drinking in order to sit across from strangers. And it was such a great experience just to be a human and connecting with people that have a similar history. So I'm really making an effort to put myself out there and make those connections. And that's another reason I'm here, you know, um, to support people that may be suffering and just put myself out there and connect with you and the podcast and listeners. And, um, but I'm, it's something that I'm actively working on and it's always in my thoughts. You know, a lot of times we look at an addiction as a liability and for sure I see those aspects of it, but the sobriety side of it, it's a major asset when we're making connections. And what I'm trying to say is the camaraderie and sobriety is unrivaled in anything I've ever seen. I've had that same experience. I've gone to several AA meetings for the first time in different states, counties, and countries to find myself eating appetizers at lunch or dinner um, with a new group of friends from a totally different place on the planet. It, it, it's incredible. So so listeners, it's almost a superpower, sobriety, in terms of making connections. We just need to leverage it and open up. Um, it, it, it's, it's incredible. What's on your bucket list moving forward without alcohol, Andrea? So I'm working on that master's degree. Uh, that is something. <laughs> Uh, that's just to help people on a bigger level, um, help people that are suffering with substance use disorder and also grief at this point. Um, I really want to help people that are grieving and hopefully keep them sober during that time, teach people that you can stay sober and during hard, hard things. I actually, else, something else on my bucket list would be the national parks. I visit national parks for fun. So that's my bucket list. Um, with sobriety, um, making more connections and getting more involved that way. I did um, start volunteering for um, the Phoenix, which is a national sober community. So I lead hikes for the Phoenix in my area, um, just continuing to make connections. Yeah, we did our service project at the Phoenix in Boston. Great, great nonprofit, great group. Now, Andrea, I want to ask you one more question about your daughter passing away. Were there any life lessons that you can, that you pulled from that, that you can share with us? For example, maybe putting things into perspective. I know myself, I can get stressed about the little things, but sometimes you need a big life event to say, look, that matters and this doesn't. Can you share with us? Yeah. Um, so nothing matters. <laughs> Actually, um, right after her death, I I would, I was walking around my house and like just, just kept saying, none of this matters. None of this matters. All this stuff that I had brought in to decorate the house and finish the house and all of this stuff. And it just kept repeating in my, my head, none of this matters. None of this matters. What matters is, is the relationships with the family. And it's interesting because um, that night that she died, she was actually supposed to be with me and my grandkids that night. And that was part of me working on those relationships with my family. And, and, and that was actually the first time I was doing that. Remember how I said that I was starting to really focus on the connections. And that was that night I had bought tickets for us to go to a um, play park. And she decided that she was going to do something else. So I took my grandkids and she went elsewhere and it ended up tragically. Sure. Um, so with her passing, um, the biggest thing is the relationships with people. I mean, we had a great relationship. I talked to her every day, all day long, 
but um, I missed out on so many moments over the years, you know, um, like it was her birthday that I, I didn't go to that one time when I was hungover, you know, when she was a child. And um, it, it's just the connections with your family and friends. And those are the things that matters, the experiences that you can have with them. Yeah, the connections are what matter most in life. The longest study that's ever been done is the Harvard Happiness Study, you know, what makes us happy. And that was the conclusion. It's our connections with other human beings. So thank you, Andrea, for sharing. And, and again, wow, what an incredible loss and what an incredible feat to make it through without taking a drink. Um, you're a rock star. You're my hero, Andrea. Um, amazing, amazing, amazing. Andrea, I got one more question before we hit the rapid fire round. What advice would you have to your younger self? Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> Calm down. You're going to be okay. <laughs> don't think, don't, don't take things too seriously. Um, yeah. There's a Bob Marley song, three little birds, every little thing is going to be all right. And, and with my higher power, that spirituality component, sometimes, you know, I get caught in the emotions of lack and scarcity and fear and, and anxiety, and I can pull myself out of it sometimes. And it's like this voice, it's like, gosh, dang it, you did it again, higher power, whatever universe, because everything is not only going to be all right, everything has already been all right up until this moment. It's like this, it pulls me out of it so fast. My like, gosh, darn it, you did it again. Everything is going to be all right and everything is just fine. I love that, thank you. Well, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you can answer these questions within 10 to 15 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, Andrew, let's do it. Number one, what's the one thing you've learned about yourself since quitting drinking? That I can do absolutely anything. Yeah, anything. Double stamp anything. that. Yeah. Number two, what's your best sober moment? Oh my gosh, this is such a great moment. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was walking my dog and I it came to me that I can now die and leave the legacy that I want to leave for my kids. And it com has completely changed. So if I were to die tomorrow, I would have an excellent legacy to live for my kids and they could be proud of me compared to two and a half years ago where that wouldn't have been the case. What's your favorite alcohol-free drink? I am water and coffee. What's the point of life? To create the life of your dreams, live it and be of service. What's your favorite 90s band? Pearl Jam. Ooh, would love it. What are some of your favorite sobriety resources? So uh, Recovery Elevator podcast, the Bubble Hour podcast, um, Happy Hour podcast, the Quit Lit, This Naked Mind, um, We Are the Luckiest, the Phoenix, their events, thephoenix.org, my dog Day, he's kept me sober too. What's your gift to the world if you could give the world anything? Self-love. Self-love. I love it. And last question, what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? The sooner you ditch the booze, the sooner you can start living. And on that note, Andrea, give listeners your own, you might need to ditch the booze if line. Oh gosh, this one's embarrassing. <laughs> you might need to ditch the booze if your grandkids are supposed to be staying the night with you, but your daughter brings them over, sees that you've been drinking, and then won't allow them to stay. Yeah, that checks out for sure, Andrea. <laughs> we are both in the right room right now where we are. So thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast. In terms of connection, I really enjoyed chatting with you, connecting with you, and I'm excited to share this story, your story, 
with the audience. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. What a powerful story Andrea shared with us today. My goodness. Thank you again, Andrea, for coming on and being so brave. What a warrior. Now, listeners, I almost asked Andrea a question live during our recording. I didn't, but I asked her afterward, and that question was, have you seen any hummingbirds lately? I know it seems random, but let me explain. So about a week and a half ago, I did a nature walking tour in a sloth sanctuary, and we saw a hummingbird. And the gentleman, our guide, told us about a native parable or, or traditions of the tribes here that hummingbirds are your relatives stopping by to come say hello. Now, when I asked our guide if he believed it, he turned his head and on his neck, he had a tattoo of a hummingbird. So when Andrea was talking about that incredibly difficult life situation of losing a child in a drunk driving accident, the question was there in my mind. Again, I didn't ask it, but I was going to say, have you seen any hummingbirds lately? So I asked her that question and there was a short pause and she responded with, I've been seeing them every single day. Recovery elevator, go big because eventually we'll all go home. I love you guys. Mm -hmm.